This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of August 8th, 2016, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 329 of Defender Radio. After a relaxing break spent in northern Ontario, I'm glad to be back to talk about a pressing issue in the province's most popular park, Algonquin's Wolves. The provincial park is home to the Eastern Wolf, now often referred to as Algonquin Wolves. These wolves are considered a threatened species and, within the park and a buffer zone, receive protections from hunting and trapping. Given the difficulty in identifying an Algonquin wolf from a coyote or a mix of the two, these protections extend to the similar-looking canids. But studies are showing that as soon as the wolves leave these protective enclaves, be it chasing prey or searching out new territories, they quickly become victims of hunters and trappers. Can select areas of protection truly help restore the Algonquin wolf's population to healthy levels, or will connected buffers and larger areas of land be necessary? To talk about the situation facing the Algonquin wolf, as well as Ontario's coyotes, Defender Radio was joined by Hannah Barron, Director of Wildlife Conservation Campaigns for Earthroots. You know, we're, we're very much looking at a big issue today. I, I, it's, it's a very overwhelming issue in many ways. Um, but I think to start out... Uh, why don't we look at sort of that natural history of wolves in the Algonquin Park region? Sure. Uh, what's what? How did they get there? What are they doing now? Tell us about the wolves. All right. So the the wolves have an interesting history in Ontario, largely because we do have two wolf species, and uh, and scientists have been looking at um, historical DNA and current DNA to try to look back and and see what happened, and. What it looks like is that we settled the land, let's say starting in the 1700s or thereabouts, and we started systematically eradicating the wolves that were, say, in southern Ontario and the northeastern United States, where the most people were. And when we did that, uh, we, we likely pushed the wolves north. So those eastern wolves that used to live in southern Ontario, and there may have also been gray wolves, the other wolf species, but I think that we pushed them north into Algonquin, whereas previously there would have just been gray wolves there. Now, predominantly, there are eastern wolves in Algonquin Park um, and sort of a band around Algonquin where those animals are found. And then about 100 years ago in the early 1920s, it seems that coyotes from the west, from the prairies, the ones that we know to be somewhere in the range of 15, 20-ish pounds, came in over or possibly under or both the Great Lakes into Ontario and because there were so few animals coming in and there were so few eastern wolves left in southern Ontario, they mated with each other and and now we created this sort of uh, different animal that we now call the eastern coyote, which is bigger than the western coyote, a little bit smaller than eastern wolves um, and has now subsequently adapted so well to living in all kinds of habitats from in Algonquin Park, there are still some of them, right downtown Toronto, in Chicago, in New York City, there everywhere. And they have now gone all the way into Newfoundland. So they've made their way across. Um, and now what we have is sort of a mishmash of eastern coyotes, eastern wolves, and the hybrids of the two, sort of from southern Ontario going towards the north. And then very northern Ontario, say, north of Sault Ste. Marie kind of area, it's mostly gray wolves. Now, 
Out of curiosity, and I'm not sure if this is your your field of expertise, but when we look at the uh, that DNA mix, how heavily does that influence the behavior of these animals? Uh, so, as you say, you know, the further north we go, we see a, a greater predominance of uh, eastern wolf or potentially gray wolf, sort of with the coyotes um, or intermixed within them. Does that change what they do and who they are? I think that's most people's concern when they come across the term coy wolves, which is something I don't advocate for. But um, people are concerned that because wolves are larger and sort of known to hunt in packs, and we see them frequently on documentaries, they're perceived to be very aggressive. And, and so people think that the eastern coyotes that carry wolf genes are perhaps more aggressive or bolder. That's not the case at all. And I would, I would argue that uh, wolves naturally are probably wary but not frightened of humans and i say that because those wolves that have never encountered people before way way up north in the arctic islands when they do see people for whatever reason they are not frightened of them generally they're probably wary but they will eventually sort of walk up to people um that's what happened to a research a wolf researcher named david meach who went up there many years ago and i think he still goes up there sometimes but and then so the ones that live around people Um, I think that generally speaking, wolves and coyotes will keep away from people as much as possible. Uh, Eastern wolves don't seem to be as savvy and they might uh, encounter people a little bit more often, but not aggressively. And and down south where there are predominantly eastern coyotes, where they are living in town, they, they sort of adapt their behavior according to what they perceive as a threat. So while they're not bold uh, around people, if people have their dogs or have their dogs off leash especially, or they're, they're denning close to those animals, they may encounter them and perceive uh, an encounter with those animals to be aggressive. But often it's really defensive because we don't realize that we're sort of wandering into what they consider their territory. Um, so yeah, I don't think that wolf genes necessarily make any of the animals more aggressive. I think that there's just sort of a spectrum as to what habituated versus wary versus, you know, I've never seen a person before. I don't know how to react. Uh, is a sort of a wide spectrum of behavior for these animals, just like their genetics is a wide spectrum. Yeah, and the environment always plays such a significant role on that. Um, and that's that's one of the things we learned is that they that the uh, the mated pair or the alpha pair, depending on your, your preferred terminology. Um, typically passes on behavior they have learned to their pups. So if they've never been exposed to people, they don't know what to make of them. Whereas, uh, you know, especially here in Southern Ontario, most coyotes know to stay away from people and teach their pups that, uh, which is one of the reasons that we we advocate so heavily for not uh, removing them. And uh, back to wolves, though. Um, In the Algonquin area, why, why is it important that we have wolves there? I guess, like, this, this is one of the ones where we know biodiversity is good but that's sort of like saying recycling is good uh uh, you know it yeah i know it's good but why like what's the meat of having those wolves there all right well uh there it's sort of twofold so wolves and i will argue coyotes and and most top predators especially highly social ones but also bears uh, are important to biodiversity because they maintain these things that we call trophic cascades so they're at the top of a trickle down food chain effect So we don't really realize all of the wonderful effects they have on the ecosystem until we lose them entirely. And so that's what we saw in Yellowstone was that uh, local biodiversity and everything down to stream morphology was altered when the wolves came back. So what I advocate for is not losing the wolves 
in the first place up north. But generally in Ontario, I would say that the coyotes and the hybrids and the eastern wolves and the gray wolves, they all have a slightly different ecological role. They all have a little bit of a different niche in terms of what they eat. And so we're not really clear on all of their cascading effects, but we know certainly that they're having them. Uh, and we know that they are um, probably able to adapt to things like climate change and the, the different vegetation patterns that are coming from climate change, the way disease is spreading. We want to maintain that genetic diversity because we've also found that as a, as a role in general, predators actually, um, they speed up the process of natural selection within their prey so that their prey is able to faster uh, evolve in terms of climate change. So they're, they're good for all animals being there. Um, and from an economic perspective, wolf ecotourism is huge. And I think that uh, like close to 170,000 people have come through Algonquin Provincial Park for the public wolf howl. And that alone should be something that people are considering up north in, in terms of having wolves on the landscape and people wanting to see them and spend time with them as they do in Yellowstone and, and what that means and what they can do for the environment in that way. Sort of um, on the flip side of the threats that people really perceive eastern wolves and coyotes to be uh, toward their livestock. So like there's a sort of catch-22 of having wolves on the landscape. There are certainly lots of benefits, and I think that they do ecologically and economically outweigh the, the slight downturn of economics of wolves on the landscape. Well, there are also certainly many things we can do to prevent that downturn while allowing the wolves to stay on the landscape. Um, and Absolutely. That's probably an entirely different interview for another time. <laughs> it so, is, yeah. um, <laughs> now, in Algonquin Park, wolves are protected. Um yeah. Uh, as it is a provincial park, as well as sort of the additional security of uh, of uh, protecting these wolves as a... Are they threatened, the eastern wolves? They wolf? are, yeah. So recently... Uh, okay, so in Canada, we have two sort of separate levels of species at risk evaluation. We have the federal one um, and, and the provincial one in Ontario. Not every province has it, but Ontario has one too. And basically the way it works is the jurisdictions have a group of independent scientists come in, they weigh all the scientific evidence for animals and decide what level of risk they're at. Um, in Canada and in Ontario, eastern wolves, now called Algonquin wolves, but only in Ontario, which is kind of confusing, same animals, different names, uh, they were uplisted to threatened in Ontario, and they're being considered for an uplisting to threatened across Canada. So that was recent in Ontario in June, and I think they will they're still sort of in extended consultation period federally, uh, which means that they're waiting to see what the public and stakeholders think about an uplifting to threatened until October. Uh, so yeah, when they're threatened, they, they receive automatic and immediate protection in Ontario under the Endangered Species Act. You cannot kill, harm, harass, or destroy the habitat of a threatened species. So that move from special concern where they weren't afforded any protection was actually pretty significant in terms of their conservation, not only in Algonquin, but elsewhere. Okay, um, and what's interesting too is I remember not too long ago writing about uh, the the Ministry of Natural Resources trying to relax reporting laws for wolves yes. uh, to make it more or less easier to hunt them. Yeah, so I think the reason the reason that they stated that would be a, somewhat of a solution is because they were addressing concerns from moose hunters um, about declining moose populations. So they were trying to relax coyote and wolf hunting laws in the north predominantly, um, but they were gonna let sort of status quo go on in Eastern wolf territory in central Ontario. 
saying that this was like, you know, enough protection for Algonquin wolves. But then subsequently, when they abandoned that proposal, and they should have known this was coming because it's been in the works for years, but uh, the wolves were uplisted. So they had every reason to believe that the wolves would be uplisted to threatened, and yet they still sort of proposed to let uh, hunting and trapping continue. And unfortunately, that's now what they've done after the listing to threatened is they've put through two new proposals that are going to be very preventative for the recovery of the species, unfortunately. All right. And currently, um, in Algonquin Park, wolves cannot be hunted or trapped. Um, so what what is the what is at issue today in terms of uh, the wolves in and around Algonquin um, and the other protected areas in the region? Sure. So Algonquin Provincial Park is a really, really big park for sort of south central Ontario. Um, and the wolves have been protected there since the 60s after uh, the first sort of slew of research came through where people started concentrating on the wolves. At first, there was a, a long-term bounty program for over 100 years where the park wardens were paid specifically to try to eradicate wolves in the park to increase deer populations because the whole point of the park was sort of um, people wanting to come and look at deer and probably shoot deer. So we were killing off the wolves, but that stopped in the 60s. And um, what happened since then was the wolves inside the park became protected. They couldn't hunt or trap them anymore inside the park. But then all of this genetic research started to come through and ecological research from sort of the 80s until the 2000s that showed that the wolves were actually unique. So then we had this idea like, oh, you know, we, we always thought these wolves looked a little bit different when we were studying them, but they are now considered a unique species, so they deserve more thorough protection. And as that research was just sort of coming to the front lines and, and the public was kind of getting their heads wrapped around it, um, a group of scientists who were studying the animals, John and Mary Theberge, they discovered that the wolves that left the park to follow the deer right outside of the park into the winter deer yards uh, were getting harvested, hunted or trapped, I should say, uh, pretty much uh, all the time. And they thought that this was going to prevent the recovery of those animals or their survival within the park. So around 2000, they put a, around a buffer around the park, which is a really cool conservation precedent that basically grew the protection area of Algonquin Park significantly. And it's like 42 townships now included in that buffer zone where you cannot kill wolves or coyotes. Uh, and the reason why, obviously, you can't kill coyotes in that area is because you can't tell the animals apart. So if you keep letting people kill coyotes, you keep letting people kill the wolves. Yeah, and there was actually a big case in the United States where the, I want to say, red wolf uh, is critically endangered. And they ended up getting in place a complete ban on hunting pretty much any canid. Um, because they said, you know, from outside of DNA, you can't really tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, is, is, is that similar in Algonquin with sort of these species and subsea species and splits and everything that you need that level of examination to know what you have been hunting? I think absolutely that is correct. So before I started working for Earthroots, I was involved in the Eastern Wolf Survey, which was a non-invasive survey where we would go around the provincial parks looking for the wolves. And, and instead of looking for the wolves, we would look for their scat or urine on snow. We would collect it. Uh, we put out field camps. We could sort of see what we were looking at. And then we wouldn't know uh, definitively until we saw the DNA results saying like, yeah, this was an eastern wolf or this was a coyote or this was sort of on the spectrum of hybrid. And those those researchers that are handling the animals and putting radio collars on them and countering them fairly frequently, 
some of them some of them have a good good idea of what those animals are, but they don't know definitively. You really can't say. So if a biologist who handles the animals regularly up close and personal can't tell, then certainly a hunter and definitely not a trapper would be able to tell the difference. Well, and of course, you, you can't even get up close until after you've done the deed with a lot of those. So, yes, um, exactly. Okay, so it sounds sort of on the face of it like wolves have a pretty good thing going for them in Algonquin Provincial Park. Um, you know, they're, they're free from hunting and trapping. They've got a nice buffer zone. They're meeting some nice coyotes. So what is the problem now? What, what are we going to be talking about? What is the big issue? So the big issue is that when we were doing these surveys across Ontario, we did find pockets of the wolves in other semi-protected areas. So traditionally uh, in Ontario, you can't hunt wolves in provincial parks, but trapping of all animals is usually allowed. So a provincial park from what we think of it is maybe not how it actually operates in the real world. There's lots of trapping going on. Um, so we did find those, these pockets of wolves in the areas where you can't hunt, but you can trap. And we found very few animals in the, in the peripheral areas, which is the most of their range. Um, and what the government is now doing because they've been uplisted to threatened and because nobody wants to close, uh, coyote hunting or trapping, because there are people interested in, in doing that still on the landscape. What they're proposing is a season closure, which means you can't hunt or trap 365 days a year, coyotes or wolves, but only in three small areas where they found them. And those are around the already semi-protected areas in Killarney Provincial Park that stretches onto the French River. And then two other uh, areas further south, about southwest of Algonquin, one of them is Kawartha Highlands. Uh, which is actually in a year-round open unlimited harvest season for coyotes and wolves and then slightly to the north is queen elizabeth wildlands so they're gonna it's great that they're putting in the they're proposing i should say to put in these closures but if an animal is threatened and it is illegal to kill harm harass or destroy their habitat and you allow hunters and trappers to keep killing them in most of their range and we know that the primary threat to these animals is hunting and trapping then there's no way that we're going to end up ever finding more animals in those unprotected areas because as soon as they venture into them, and they do regularly, uh, they pretty much get killed before they can establish a new family with a new territory and rebuild the population. So what they're proposing is simply inadequate in order to, to bring back that species across broader areas of the landscape where we have found them. Now, so to play devil's advocate as a city boy, don't we just want them in the provincial parks? Wouldn't it be bad to have these big predators all across the landscape? I don't think it would be bad at all. Certainly the coyotes are everywhere and the hybrids are to some extent probably doing better than the eastern wolves themselves. But no, I don't, I don't see why it would be bad. I mean, I wish the government would help farmers uh, with subsidies for preventative tools in order to sort of get rid of the problem with livestock depredation. Um, but I don't see any other problem with them being on the landscape. I, they don't pose a threat to people. Um, I think that we have a lot of public education work ahead of us to convince people that that's the case and how that they can uh, do some risk management when they're going onto the land. But I don't see a problem with having them on the landscape. If anything, I see it a benefit to a lot of areas that could be getting involved in wolf ecotourism and just generally having a, a biodiverse landscape where there aren't so many deer all over the place and getting into vehicle collisions and consuming people's crops and, and that sort of thing. So 
So I think there's some benefits to bringing them back. Looking back at the beginning of wildlife management in North America, too, is interesting because it all started out as game management, which I think is something we forget. And you really have to ask how much of what we're doing today is based on that more or less flawed concept that the reason we need to manage wildlife is so it can be hunted or trapped. Yeah, that's the original definition of conservation that still many hunters and trappers use and call themselves conservationists. Conservation for consumption, so managing for numbers, having enough animals on the landscape next year so that you can at least harvest as many as you did this year, hopefully more. Um, I do think it's flawed because conservation in my eyes as an ecologist and and somebody who wants to sort of conserve biodiversity for genetic reasons and for all those trophic cascade trickle-down effect reasons on the landscape, it's, it's actually not taking into consideration any of the natural processes and behaviors of these animals that, you, that they're trying to hunt. And so, for example, with wolves and coyotes and other large predators, uh, we don't want to just make sure we have, you know, like uh, 250 wolves in this location. We want to make sure that those wolves are operating the way natural wolves do because those natural processes are what drive the trickle-down effects in the, in the ecosystem that benefit it and make it more resilient to things like climate change. So instead of managing wolves for numbers, we want to manage them for things like having family-based packs, which is something that they found came back in Algonquin Park as soon as they um, banned hunting and trapping was those animals returned to their natural wolf social structure that had been lost when we were uh, hunting and trapping them in that area. So, yeah, so it's more complicated than just hunting or trapping for numbers to have the that amount next year. And also, <laughs> I, I want to bring up that in North America, this new idea is coming up about the public trust, which is written into a lot of our legislation saying that the animals belong to every person in Canada and not just those people who are consuming them or making a profit from their slaughter. And so it's due diligence by the government to protect them for the rest of the rest of the population as well and not just those um, sort of public sector groups or, or people with special interests in their demise and that sort of old idea of conservation. Yeah, and it's... Um... It's also interesting because the government always talks about using the best and latest science, and they almost never do. But that's, again, another conversation. Um, that's why I find myself working for an NGO and no longer doing the research, because I discovered that I would probably be able to push the research better if I didn't act as a researcher. Yes. And, uh, well, again, that, that's a whole different conversation, <laughs> and we'll have it sometime. Um, now, in terms of what... Uh, you and all the other nonprofits are are looking for. Is it to 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 get a complete ban on wolf hunting, or are you trying to get some connectivity between these buffered areas, these protected areas? Um, and that's something else we're hearing a lot more about is connectivity uh, in in conservation. So what's sort of what's the ask at this point? The ask at this point is to enforce the Endangered Species Act the way it was intended to be, and that would be to protect every individual wolf from being killed, harmed, or harassed. Algonquin wolf, I should stipulate. So across the range that where we know, where we have found confirmed eastern wolves, and certainly we haven't looked everywhere, um, I, I would like there to be a complete ban on wolf and coyote hunting and trapping in that area to protect the Algonquin wolves. And I also want the government to make coyote conservation a priority because I think that that is sort of something that's fallen by the wayside. And we, we already have a, 
a wolf conservation strategy in Ontario and we have one for black bears, but nothing exists for coyotes. And I think that is ecologically indefensible and ethically slightly bankrupt that we sort of specialize on, on these few species that are, you know, considered more charismatic or exciting and the people are, are behind them. And so if everything is hinged right now on the Endangered Species Act for Algonquin wolves, but in the long run, what I want is for the government to take seriously the fact that we want to have intact predator populations on the landscape. And that means not prioritizing hunting and trapping over the ecological the world. Something I think is worth getting into a little bit right now is is looking at how an ecosystem works as opposed to how we view a map. And that's something I've, I spoke with someone about recently in a podcast, and I, um, I, I, I am struggling to find a way to make this more, more digestible for the masses and maybe get it into policy. But we look at wildlife management units and we've got hard borders. Sometimes they are physical landmarks, you know, a body okay. of water, a highway, something like that. And sometimes it's kind of an arbitrary, this line. Um, but that's not how ecosystems work. They bleed into each other. So, and that's why I was asking about connectivity. So when we mm-hmm. look at this, how do we sort of get across that? You know, we can't just look at Algonquin Provincial Park. We have to look at the whole. Uh, how is that something we can look at achieving in the long term? I, yeah, I think that what we need to do is use Algonquin Provincial Park and that buffer as a great precedent and build off that. So the buffer was put around the park because, uh, you know, the wolves, they don't know where the lines of the park are. And as soon as they leave the park and they're allowed to be hunted and trapped, that's what ended up happening. So in my eyes, if we're we're looking as a biologist, you sort of take a record of an animal and you plop it on a map, and then you can draw a big circle around all of the known locations for those animals. And that's what something that we find in the Algonquin wolf species evaluation report, uh, which is what the scientific committee who assessed their at-risk population came up with. And that shape doesn't fit well, of course. It doesn't fit well within the wildlife management units, the way we carve up Ontario and decide what kind of management style we're going to put where. So what I want to see is to close uh, hunting and trapping in the wildlife management units where it's sort of easy to implement things in that kind of jurisdiction, human construct way, but that it will be a buffer zone around the actual extent of occurrence or range of those animals where they have been found. So by default, all of those dots that we have for the wolves are not just, you know, like we found the animal there and the animal stayed there. The animal is moving like kilometers and kilometers every day. They're very... Uh, wide-ranging animals. So we want to protect them in a larger extent. So what I'm asking for in ecological terms is pretty conservative in that the wolves will no doubt travel beyond the lines even where I want them to be protected. Um, But unless the government just vows to shut down hunting and trapping of all wolves and coyotes across Ontario, we can't perfectly enforce the Endangered Species Act. So at least we try to broaden it based on where we know the animals have been found and hope that they sort of stay in that area and they're able to establish in that area without getting killed. And I think that's what's going to end up happening in central Ontario. If you look at sort of the blanket area tucked between Quebec and the Ottawa River, which is a big geographic barrier for the wolves as they travel into Quebec, which is the other, the only other jurisdiction in North America where these wolves are found. Um, so what we want to do is sort of facilitate their moving around the Ottawa River and over it 
and, and surviving, getting there and getting back and sharing those genes between those animals in, in that province too. All right. And what can people be doing? This, this is always sort of the, the, the question that we get asked the most is, is not necessarily what's the problem or, you know, what's the solution. It's what How can, do we fix it? Yeah. As an individual, as you know, someone listening to this in Alberta or in here in Hamilton or, you know, in Newfoundland, what can I do to make a difference in this, this, this situation? Well, in Ontario, I am proud to say that we have an Environmental Bill of Rights, which affords every Ontario resident uh, rights to um, comment on any kind of environmental decision making or apply for reviews of things or investigations if they think people are breaking the law with, with respect to the environment. And right now, the government has proposed these three small closure areas and another proposal um, to basically legalize the hunting and trapping of wolves outside of those areas, despite the Endangered Species Act, which says you shouldn't. So these two proposals are open right now until August 22nd for the public to comment on. And anyone can submit a comment, although Ontario residents, their comment will be weighed, obviously, more strongly than people who do not live in Ontario. But I stress for those people who would like to comment uh, to Google it, the two proposals. I'm sure they can find it on the webpage where you're going to put up this podcast, right? Because it's uh, otherwise I had to list off these numbers that people have to Google. Okay, okay, great. So you can go straight there and comment online. Even better to send in a written letter um, or at least some sort of personal comment stating why you know you think that the wolves should be protected everywhere and not just these small areas. Um, and for those people who are listening from outside of Ontario and still wish to participate, even though you're not technically under our Environmental Bill of Rights. I think it's really important to stress to the Ontario government that we have a responsibility to recover these species because 65% of the known eastern wolves or estimated eastern wolves live in Ontario and the rest of them live in Quebec and Quebec doesn't even recognize that they're a unique species or really have any kind of meaningful protection for them. So we, it's, our, it's almost our job uh, to protect them and to ensure that they don't go extinct because there are so few of them. And so... Yeah, putting the pressure on from outside of Ontario is still important and to remind Ontario to, to do their job as part of a greater area, knowing that the wolves, you know, don't know what the the provincial boundary looks like in Ontario and Quebec. To learn more about Earthroots, send a letter to the government about Algonquin's wolves or get involved with their efforts, visit earthroots.org or follow the links on this week's podcast blog. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Hannah for joining me and all of you for tuning in. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.